Hello, Jose Zais here with your Sunday reminder that things are still not the way they should be. Here we are, friends, a month into this, and we're having to reevaluate still just about everything. Uh, think about birthdays that have been celebrated in different ways, anniversaries, uh, weddings. Ashley and Riyadh should have been married in June here at the event center where I am right now. And instead, they were married in a beautiful ceremony, small with just a few family and friends in a backyard. It even made the TV news, which is a, a silver lining. But they should have celebrated it in a bigger way. And, you know, life happens and they're having to readjust just like we all are. I think we're getting into different kind of rhythms of what in the world is school and how do we do work with kids at home? And if you're a parent with little ones, man, I really empathize. Do you ever get a break? I mean, before at least you can get your kids to the playground, burn off some energy, or you can have some friends come over or send them off to, to get a little bit of R&R &R yourself. But now it's like, oh, I'm your educator and I'm your mom or dad. And oh, I'm your housekeeper and I'm your cook. And hey, let's all be happy. Just don't touch anything. This is not the way it should be. Now, taking a step back, let's remind ourselves this is temporary. And thank you for obviously doing what you can to keep the virus from spreading. We know that this is a season and this season is going to end, but we really do mourn. We mourn with those who have lost loved ones or friends. We mourn with those who've lost their job. We mourn with those who are dealing with anxiety and depression and all sorts of other issues. I mean, I kind of joke around about the situation, but it's really, it's not all that funny, but it is causing us to, to ask and answer like these fundamental basics. I mean, think of how much of life is on a screen right now. Many of us are using Zoom. Community groups start this week. Most are using Zoom or Google Hangout or some other platform that's online. Uh, let me answer one of these questions for you. Should you ever take a Zoom call while in the bathroom? And the answer is no. Seen a few funny videos about that one. I mean, but we, it is comical, but we're having to reevaluate everything. Here's a little bit of silver lining. We happen to be looking at a new series called The Way of Jesus starting this week. And we're going to be looking at the basics and asking ourselves some of these fundamental questions about what it really means to follow Jesus. So while we're in the season of uncertainty and change and things seem to be going in all sorts of directions, that is troubling, but there also are some bonuses. There could be some good that comes out of it. I think of Easter, right? Easter should not be in your PJs having brunch like on your couch. You should be together as a church. But even though we experienced a very different Easter, it was our most impactful yet as a church. And that same message Luis Palau gave to us went to more than 100 plus churches all over the country. Uh, it was on uh, TBN and God TV and other TV stations. And one website alone that showed at easterhope.org had 46,000 people plus watch it. More than 4,000 respond to take some next step in following Jesus. And now even, this is the coolest part, Easter is celebrated in the West. It was last Sunday. Today though, is Easter for Eastern churches, so Orthodox and other churches in the uh, Eastern community. And so they're celebrating Easter right now. Do you know the message we did last week has been dubbed into Arabic and uh, voiceover and subtitle, and right now is being broadcast all over the Arabic speaking world because this is Easter weekend in those communities. And so the message that we already heard is still bearing fruit. My point is that even in the middle of terrible things and terrible times, 
Some really good things are happening as well. We need to remember that. And in light of that, I want to bring us to this new series. What does it mean to authentically follow Jesus? What does it mean to honor him with our lives? Are you a genuine Jesus follower? Well, we're going to go to Jesus's longest teaching that we have in the Bible, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. Why aren't you calling it the Sermon on the Mount? Because sometimes things are so familiar that you actually don't give it the rightful attention it needs. Let me give you an example. Uh, name for me in order right now the Ten Commandments. In order. What are they? Now, we all know the Ten, oh, respect the Ten Commandments, you know, honor God, Ten Commandments. I think most of us couldn't even say what they are, definitely not the order in which they come. The Ten Commandments, Sermon on the Mount, it becomes so familiar that it loses its effectiveness. And so what we know is what Jesus gave us and what Matthew presents in his gospel is purposeful. Why did he collect all of these sayings in this way? Why is Matthew giving it to us in what we call chapter five? Why does he give it to us when he gives it to us? And as we're gonna begin to see today, the framework of Matthew and why Matthew does what he does is to set up, us up to ask some really good questions. So let's just do this. Let's start today. All we're gonna read is Matthew 5, one through two, and we're going to look up some background and some helpful information and some questions. And in your community group this week, I would encourage you, a lot of this is background. And it'll be good to begin to discuss these things together. And you have your community group to study, study guide. I hope to begin to get to know each other more. And then we'll, we'll jump into what Jesus taught starting next Sunday. Matthew 5, verses 1 and 2. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside, thus Sermon on the Mount, and he sat down and his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Now, what is Matthew doing here? What's, how is he framing it? Well, one, let's take a step back. Matthew gives us a gospel or you could say a biography of Jesus. We have four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And if you read them, there's a lot of similarity and dissimilarity. There are things that Mark has that John doesn't have. Why? Because every biographer and any of you who've ever written a book, you know that you're writing to an audience for a reason. So all of them don't say everything about Jesus, but everything they include has a reason. And so what we're going to see in Matthew is he's writing to a particular group of people with a particular set of questions and a particular set of answers. And if we don't even think about that, then what Jesus is saying and why Matthew's telling us could be lost. So, so for some of you, you're familiar with this, but for some, this is brand new information. Now, how do I know what Matthew's trying to say? We'll just read Matthew. Look, Matthew 1, verse 1, he, he, he's a dead giveaway. He says, this is the genealogy or the historical background of Jesus, the Messiah. There's a code word. Messiah is a term that Jewish people use that comes from the first part of the Bible, what we call the Old Testament, God's promised deliverer. So Jesus, the promised deliverer, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And so it's, it, just read the first sentence and you know who Matthew is writing to. He's writing to people who have a, a, a Jewish background and a Bible focus. And so since most of us don't come from the Jewish community, when we read Matthew, we kind of got to get our heads in the mind of their community first to see what Matthew's trying to get at. And he, he gives us two of the big figures 
in the Jewish faith. Abraham, Abraham is the one, remember back in Genesis, that God comes to and says, I promise, I covenant to you, I agree to you, I'm going to bless the world through you and your family line. And we know that Abraham believes God. And as Paul says later, it's credited to him as righteousness. He's right in the sight of God because he hears God say, I want to bless you and I want to bless the world. Follow me. Abraham does. And so the, the source of the people of God is Abraham. And then you have David, who's Israel's greatest king. But more than that, Jesus, the Messiah, son of David. There's this promise in the first part of the Bible that, that King David would have one of his descendants leading God's people for every generation. Now, we know in history in the first century around the time of Jesus that it wasn't a Jewish king leading God's people. It was a Roman king. It was the Caesars that were ruling God's land, God's people. But there was a tucked in promise that God was going to be faithful and he was going to raise up a king, a Messiah. And so Matthew is writing about Jesus as the answer to everything God had been promising. Jesus is a descendant of Abraham. He's from God's people. And Jesus is a king like David. But there are three big pillars in the kind of history of the Jewish faith. We've mentioned two. We've got Abraham and we have uh, David. But in between them is the one that God used to bring God's people out of deliverance. If you know Genesis and Exodus, when they were enslaved in Egypt, who is that leader? It's Moses. So Abraham, Moses, David are the pillars. And what Matthew does is brilliant. Right at the beginning, he says, Jesus he is the son of Abraham, Jesus. He's the son of David. And then in Matthews 1, 2, and 3, as a matter of fact, all of Matthew's gospel revolves around this idea that Jesus is like a new Moses. Now, I know I'm, I'm throwing a lot at you right now, but if you're, if you're Matthew's early hearers, you believe that the Bible is the word of God, the Torah, especially the first five books of the Bible, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and these were the sacred texts. This is what God said to his people, remembering the story. God called them out of Egypt. He called them his own. He said, you're my people. I'm going to bring you into my land. I'm going to give you my promises. And I'm going to guide you every step of the way. And Moses is this pivotal leader that God works through so that the people know the word of God through whom? Through Moses. And so Matthew is saying, if you want to know about the one that people are beginning to talk about because Jesus, the word of Jesus began to spread in the early decades after his resurrection. If you want to know who, who he is, Jesus is one who's even greater than Moses. Now, how do we know this? Just a couple of things. And I'm going to get to Matthew 5, but Matthews 1 through 4 are really the setup. Matthews 1, 2, and 3, we see how Jesus came to us. It's really interesting. Thinking back of the whole framework of Matthew, um, there are five books that make up the first part of the Bible, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. How does Matthew frame out his whole gospel? Do you know if you look at it, there are five sections. And every section within Matthew ends with a teaching block from Jesus. It's almost as if Matthew is suddenly saying in the way that he writes, just like there are five books given by Moses, now there are five parts to the biography of the life of Jesus. Five, five, there's no accident in that. And then you look at Matthews 1 through 3, and there's some things that are true about 
about Moses that are now true about Jesus. He's like the new Moses. Uh, look at Matthew 2. Uh, Jesus comes out of Egypt. There's this scene where he flees and then he returns from Egypt back to the land of promise. Well, that, there's no accident. Matthew's telling us Jesus is like Moses who comes out of Egypt and then brings God's people out of Egypt. And then Matthew 3, um, God uses Moses to bring the people through the water, through the Red Sea, into the land of deliverance. And before Jesus does anything, what happens? He goes through the water. He goes into the Jordan River and Jesus is baptized. Moses brings the people up towards the River Jordan and Jesus comes through the River Jordan. There's all this symbolism. Matthew wants us to know before he gets to the teaching of Jesus is this is no ordinary figure and this is just some good advice for life. No, there's something about this man, Jesus, like the people of God, Israel, revered the words of Moses because they were the words of God. So now in the same way we see the words of Jesus, the life of Jesus is to be revered because these are the very words and this is the very life of God. And then right out of the water, what happens? If you know the Exodus story, they go through the waters and into the desert. How many years are they in the desert before they make it to the land of promise? Very good, 40, 40 years. How many days is Jesus fasting and praying and being tempted in the desert, 40 days, 40 years, 40 days. Is there an accident there? Absolutely not. And what you see subtly is where Moses was able to do some work, Jesus does greater than work because Israel failed in their 40 years. They were not faithful to God in the temptation. Remember, they grumbled, they complained. They said, God, where are you? They said, Moses, God has left us. They, they worshiped false idols again and again and again. God gave his people opportunity to pass the test, so to speak, to be faithful to him. Remember, God had promised through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all the way through, I'm your God. I'm going to lead you. I'm going to be your guide. I want you to be my people and all of the world will be blessed through you. And Israel, the people, they failed. But here we see in the gospel, Jesus does not fail. And again and again, he quotes the word of God against the tempter. Don't, don't you remember the Bible says, and then the enemy has to flee from him because Israel fails, yet Jesus passes the test. All right, um, what does this have to do with the Sermon on the Mount or the way of Jesus? End of Matthew 4, I want us to see this. This is hugely important. What does Jesus do and what was Jesus's main message? Before we get into the little nitty gritty of what he says in Matthews 5, 6, and 7, let's turn to Matthew 4. Matthew 4 and just look at verse uh, 17. Matthew 4, 17. What was the message of Jesus? Because what the Sermon on the Mount or this way of Jesus is an explanation of what he says in Matthew 4, 17. It says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Let me say it again. Repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This summarizes the entire message of Jesus. Remember, Jesus said lots of things. But primarily, Matthew wants us to know that, that Jesus' message was a call for us to respond. Turn, repent, means have a change of mind or turn in a new direction. Jesus' word to the people, remember these are 
Jewish people. They know the Bible. And the concept of God calling his people to turn back to him is all over the first part of the Bible, the Old Testament. The word of the prophets was repent, return, return. So Jesus comes in a long line of God's people and he says, turn for the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Matthew also uses the term the kingdom of God. The other gospel writers most often use kingdom of God. Jesus's main message, and I can't emphasize this enough, was about the kingdom. There is a king, there is a kingdom, and because there's a king and a kingdom, there's a call for us to respond to the king. The main message of, of Matthew is that Jesus is that rightful king. Now at the time, early on in the story, nobody gets that. Jesus is this obscure rabbi, and in the time of Jesus, there were tons of rabbis who were itinerant teachers, and they had the Bible, and they would go, and there were lots of people like Jesus who got disciples, learners, apprentices, who would learn as they interpreted the Bible, and they would follow the teaching of their particular rabbi, and they would continue to share the Word of God. So Jesus isn't the only person doing this. But Matthew wants us to know that what Jesus is doing is unique. He's not just an ordinary teacher. He's Moses-like. The kingdom of God has come near to you. Now, what is the message of the kingdom? To have a kingdom, you have a king who rules and a people who follow. Now, at the time of, of Jesus, God's people were conflicted. Uh, they'd returned to the land. Uh, for a while, you remember if you read the Old Testament, they were sent away from the land, but that God, by his grace, brought them back into the land. But they didn't have a God as king or a godly king. They had Rome, they had the Caesars, and they were occupied by a foreign government. But there was this sense and this feeling that, that if we return to God in his ways, because they had read the Bible, in years and centuries past, when God's people failed to follow him, they often were wrecked. Politically, financially, their world was a mess. But when they got their heart right, when they came back to the living God, when they repented, turned to him, and began to read the Bible seriously and live out the ways of God, uh, things went well for them. And so around the time of Jesus, there was this sense, something must be wrong with us, right? Because we're in the land, but there's no like, no like Jewish king and the Bible is not the center of, of government and life. It's actually this foreign ruler and these foreign gods and these pagan gods and this idolatry. Something's wrong. And Jesus comes bringing this message. Repent. Not the kingdom of God is going to come a century from now. The kingdom of God has come near. Uh, the kingdom of heaven is now. It's here. And what Jesus is saying was misunderstood or, or partly understood at first, but you read the whole gospel and you read in his fullness that the kingdom or the rule of God has now come in Jesus. So back earlier in the story in the Old Testament, when God wanted to bring his people into the land of promise, he called a people, right? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob, and their descendants. He called them and he said, you're going to be my people. The whole world is going to be blessed because you're going to know me. You're going to follow me and I'm going to lead you and guide you. And you're going to be like a light to the nations. And the other people groups of the world are going to see our relationship, says God. And it's going to make them jealous. They're going to want what you want. Okay, so that's the early part of God moving in the story. 
And we know in, in Exodus that he takes, takes his people and he delivers them from Egypt and he brings them safely into the land, a promise that all happened through Moses. Now, what is Matthew showing us that's happening in and through Jesus? It is not so subtle. All of that background will be in the mindset of your common Jew when they're reading Matthew's gospel. Look at what we're hit with right after Matthew 4, 17. Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God or God's rule has come near. Then what does Jesus do? As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother called Andrew. And they were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you to fish out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. And they were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. And Jesus called them. And immediately they left their boat uh, and th their father, and they followed him. Jesus is assembling a group of people like God had done in the past. He took this group of people and he called them to himself and he said, follow me and you're gonna be like a light to the nations. What's happening early in the biography of Matthew is what we see in Jesus is he's like a new Moses. A new people is being called together. Jesus said, repent, turn, turn to me. The kingdom of heaven, God's presence, God's rule is near and it's now. Now, how do we know that it's come near? And it's come now. Just keep reading. Matthew 4, 23. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. And by the way, this isn't new. These kind of miracle working powers that happened in the past. God stepped in. If you read Exodus, please learn to love and read the Bible. You read Exodus, God steps in and when his people are ill, he brings healing and wholeness. When his people don't know what to do, he teaches them and he gives them his word and his love and his law. Not like a, don't do this, don't do that but is teaching his way. If you, wanna, if you wanna do well in life, this is the best life. Follow this direction, follow me. And it's exactly what we see in Matthew. He calls these disciples and he begins to do the kingdom work. Verse 24, news about him spread all over Syria and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed and he he healed them. So large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, which is just the 10 cities, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Why this background is because we're seeing almost a reenactment of what God had already done in the past. Jesus is the fulfillment of everything God had been doing. God's people were looking for deliverance in Egypt. God's people are living in Jerusalem, but looking for deliverance and God sends a deliverer. He sent Moses. Now he's sending his own son, Jesus. And Moses was enabled by God to do these powerful works because the presence of God was with them and the kingdom of God had come. And, and God said, I want to rule my people. Moses was not the ruler. God was always supposed to be their ruler, but he used someone. And now here we have Jesus. And Jesus assembles 
a group of people and he's beginning to form a community and Jesus is demonstrating the love and mercy of God, taking the least and the broken and the hurting and the ill and the, the ones who are left out and saying, come, turn to me and, and I'll give you life. And then what we have is the way of Jesus. So the framework is important because what Jesus is offering, and so many people have read the Sermon on the Mountain and just seen it as, this is, man, this is a good way to live. And this is, you know, great advice. And this is, this is a helpful, you know, helpful tips on how to, to live in a, in a more winsome way. He's doing more than that. Once God's people had been taken out of the land and God was leading his people, remember, he brought them to a mountain. And it was, it was on that mountain that Moses went up and Moses was given the very words of God that were going to guide the way that God's people would live in a right relationship with him and a right relationship with one another. Here's the beautiful thing. Matthew is saying it's happened again. Now it's Jesus who collects some people around him and he goes up the mountain. Moses went up to, to get the words of God, but in a twist, Jesus is on the mountain giving the words of God. So Jesus is no ordinary religious figure. He's not like on parallel with Moses. He's the greater than Moses. And what we're going to get over the next few weeks and months is the very words of God that are supposed to guide our life. Let me recap here for a second. We have the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. God is king and God wants to rule. And we are his people that can live under his rule. So what is Matthew 5 to 7 all about? It's about the how. I mean, thinking back to Matthew 4, 17, turn for the kingdom of heaven has come near to you. If God has come in the person of Jesus, how are we going to respond? And I think before Jesus gives the details, he models out the invitation. He comes to Peter and Andrew and James and John, and he finds them where they're at. You see, they're fishermen, which means, given their age and their career, they're not like the brightest uh, Torah school people. They're not the itinerant preachers. Maybe they're not the college grads and the most likely to succeed. They're ordinary, regular people. And God comes in and says to them, will you follow me? And and what happened to them is the model response for everyone who's confronted with the words of Jesus. The right choice is to listen to Jesus and say yes. And so they drop their nets and they leave their home. Now, he doesn't call all of his disciples to do that. As we read all of Matthew, most people keep their jobs, stay in their house. But yet they, they draw their allegiance to the way of Jesus. They follow his teaching and they go his, his way. But it's a radical turn. It's a turn from self-rule to God rule. And so what's called the Sermon on the Mount is an invitation for us to look and live Godward. And I think that's where we need to begin. Going back to where we are just as a culture and our, the time and place we find ourselves, I think we're seeing stuff in us. Like I didn't realize how much I need to move until now. I didn't think I realized how much I love to be out than when everyone says, stay in. So the circumstances have only enhanced what's already going on inside. Could it be for you in this season of life that God is trying to get your attention? 
that Jesus is not trying to just say, hey, look, I love you. I even, I even like you. You're doing okay. No worries. Just keep on keeping on. Could it be that God in his love is stepping in and the nearness of Jesus is being felt by us and the call is not to a guilt trip, but to a total transformation of life. Because when we read these next three chapters and take them seriously, what Jesus is inviting us to is totally against the culture that we live in. And even our own inclinations, they're gonna be parts of us like, well, I feel this way and I desire this and I want that. And Jesus is gonna say, great, but that's not me. And that's not my heart. And that's not my love. And that's not what is gonna cause you to thrive. And so we have this beautiful opportunity over the next few months, church, to allow the light of the Holy Spirit to be shine deeply in us and to see what's really there. And I love the fact that we're starting this at a time where our communities are gonna be more active because while this is kind of intro and light, we're gonna begin to press in. Next week, we're gonna look at what it means to be blessed. Who really has the blessed life? Oh, God's version of what blessing is. So let's prepare for this adventure together. But for today, let's, let's sit in this invitation. Jesus came to them and he shared the message, turn to me. The kingdom of God, the presence of God, heaven, so to speak, has come near to you. Are you open? Are you open to God's activity in your soul? Are you just content with going to church, watching podcasts, uh, I'm meeting more and more people these days who have sat in church and done the stuff and five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years later find themselves so discontented only to discover they weren't really following the way of Jesus. Going through, you know, even good like practices and good motions, but the transformation deep within that Jesus is bringing hadn't happened yet. And Maybe that's where you're at right now. I, I don't know. I'm not here to point the finger, but I am here to point the way. Jesus says, you're invited. This is the good news. He doesn't come to the elite. He doesn't come to the top of the top. He doesn't come to the popular people. Who does he come to first? The broken, the ill, the discouraged, the no man's land, the regular ordinary people. And he says to you, you get it. You're looking for the king. And here I am. The king has come in Jesus. Now follow me. Um, Easter, Luis Palau gave us an invitation to follow Jesus, and hopefully you took that step. Now, in the same way, I'm inviting you not just to say, Jesus, I give you my heart, but now I'm inviting you to say, Jesus, I'm giving you my day-to-day -day everything, and what it means to be human, I want to be defined by you. So, Jesus, reshape my brain and reshape my emotions and reshape the way I live in light of you. That's what Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is all about. So today, let's pray and in a real sense, as a church, wherever you are, let's recommit ourselves to the way of Jesus. He already loves us. It's demonstrated in his son. He's already for us. It's demonstrated in his giving of the Holy Spirit who's in us and working around us. But let's commit to respond in a right way and say, Jesus, we're really going to follow you. Join me as we pray together. Lord, I thank you that you call us close and you give us your, even your words. And so Holy Spirit of God, over these next few weeks and months, as we look at your way, your way of thinking, your way of feeling, your way of living, your way of treating people, 
your way of discerning what's going on in the culture and rejecting things that are apart from your heart and holding tight to the things that are true to you. Lord, we commit ourselves to you again and say, open our eyes to see things we've been missing. Open our hearts to receive things that we've been missing. And Lord, we're not just gonna hear it and say like, great, great, great message. Wow, I was stirred. But Lord, we commit ourselves to say, where you press in and call us to follow, we'll be like Peter and Andrew and James and John and the others from the towns and villages and we'll drop our way for your way, Lord Jesus. We wanna go your way because you are the king and you're already ruling the universe, but we want you to rule our lives as well. We wanna live under your beautiful, good rule, Lord Jesus. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.